From the Fifth Element Podcast Network and Central Source, this is In Search of Source, celebrating the writers with saving mutual journalism from Death by Kickback. I'm your host, Charlie Taylor, from The Fifth Element, and I, 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 I've, not, I've listened to nothing in the past week, so I can't really say anything. I've just been doing lists, I've just planned it all this week, it's stressful, but that's just me. <laughs> and uh, I'm Brandon Hill from Central Sauce. Uh, lately, I've really been hitting that K Trinata, that Free Nationals project, but above oh, yeah. all, uh, a little, little older than that, but... Still got to throw that recommendation out there for Netflix and Deal, uh, Free Greedo, and Kenny Beats. That whole project, fantastic start to finish. The Beats are obviously a huge highlight with Kenny. I think he's been killing it this year. But, uh, you know, Greedo, a little bit of trap T-Pain over those Kenny Beats. Can't miss it. Yep, facts. Free free Greedo forever until he's free. Um, I'm Nigel Washington, um, fellow writer at Central Sauce. And, uh, yo, don't sleep on the Christmas laps. The Michael Jackson Christmas slaps. Get into the mood. We don't, you know, Wu Tang. Wu Tang is cool for December too, but bump, bump some uh some Charlie Brown's and Hollis, yeah. some jo- Charlie Brown's Christmas. That that slaps too. Don't forget about it. That's I've got I'm that uh, Beach Boys Beach Boys Christmas album on vinyl. Come on, that has okay. been getting a lot of distance on it lately too. Let's so. go, yeah, yeah, melt it, man, melt it. Christmas is fire. <laughs> Shout out to Charlie Brown, the goat. Um, goat. So, <laughs> for the goat. Uh, for this episode of In Search of Source, we are going to be talking about Kendrick Lamar and Gookie Mass City. We're also talking about uh, music distribu- distribution, vinyl sales, record stores, indie labels, all of that. But first, we are starting with Brandon, and we are talking about, funny enough, music and podcasting. How very meta. So, Brandon, meta. you have the floor, sir. <laughs> Alright, so my piece I'm bringing today is from Rolling Stone, our podcast threatening the growth of the music industry by Tim Ingham. So first of all, I just want to highlight how much I love Rolling Stone. Um, They do a fantastic job exploring the cross-sections of music, business, and politics. So, you know, they go beyond just the typical album analysis and album review, and they really get into, like, how these sorts of things are affecting the industry and our lives themselves. And then beyond that, Tim Ingham is the authority for Rolling Stone on streaming business and Spotify. Uh, Charlie, you might even remember way back when we were recording a beta episode um, when you were editing it, I actually brought another article by Tim Ingham that talked about how Spotify was the largest corporation like that was operating at a loss and how they were hemorrhaging money mm-hmm. and there was potentially that within the next five years, uh, Spotify was going to be purchased by a larger corporation to kind of offset some of those losses. Mm-hmm. So... This, this article really jumped out at me because now it seems a few months later, um, it's by the same, same person who's also got a lot of other coverage on Spotify in here, Tim Ingham, and the tone has seemed to change a little bit around Spotify, and a lot of this seems to be doing with podcasting as a major new source of revenue. So, you know, for example, for only the second time in the country, company's history, in September, Spotify posted a quarterly profit instead of a loss for only the second time in history. So the article seems to suggest that podcasting content could become a major money earner for Spotify as spoken word content starts chipping away at the time listeners spend streaming music. 
Tim does a fantastic job securing some vital interviews to the story, but an even better job at going beyond the interviews with his own analysis. For example, at one point, he quotes that Spotify estimates spoken word content to soon pass 20% of all listening, which off the top doesn't sound like a whole lot, but he goes past the quote to really run the numbers on what that 20% means, and it's quite a bit. So the major appealing factor for Spotify in the market is that for spoken word content like podcasts, Spotify doesn't pay out royalties per stream as they do to the labels for music streams. So a full hour of a user listening to spoken word content costs Spotify nothing, while in the same hour, a user streaming around 20 songs results in 20 royalty payments. Which, of course, those royalty payments per stream are pennies on the dollar, but Tim goes on to break down the bigger picture. At the 80-20 split between music and spoken word, the average year-end total is 100 fewer hours of music streaming per listener. So Tim takes a very neutral approach throughout the article to what the impact could mean for various parties, and I thought that might be a good place for us to start, uh, where he wraps up the article saying, whether or not you see podcast cannibalizing of music consumption on Spotify as good news or something rather scarier will depend on whether you're a Spotify investor, a record label, or a musician. The paradox at the heart of this story, what happens when the world's leading music streaming service becomes economically incentivized to encourage its customers to actually listen to less music? Mm. Yeah. So I guess I'll begin uh, yeah. as a as a guy. You're the you're, Charlie is the as the, as podcast, the podcast guy, the, the podcast aficionado, the guy. We all, we're all like uh, on the edge of our seats waiting to hear what you have to say. Bro. No hot takes here, bro. Um, Give so, it to us. Funny enough, uh, I like most of us who uh, this who has Spotify as their main daily driver for music um, did their Spotify rap recently, and I my my uh, overall numbers was about uh, forty thousand minutes, I think. Uh, yeah, about forty thousand minutes overall for the whole year, and. Just for kicks, I wanted to um, look up the amount of time I've spent listening to podcasts because I do, um, as the aforementioned podcast aficionado, uh, <laughs> listen to a lot of podcasts. And uh, I listen to about like, at least uh, 15 to 20 uh, particular shows a week on average. So, And that's probably much more than most people. Right. I'm probably the higher end of that. Um, but... Uh, even with that said, I did. I looked up numbers uh, via my own, um, like little third-party podcast uh, listening thing that I use, and it was over. It was about forty-five to fifty k. So Damn. I personally listen to more podcasts than I listen to music, and that's hmm. I've I found that very interesting personally. Um, I didn't really think it was going to be uh, as much of a landslide, uh, but that's just me personally. Obviously, in the whole context of this. Um, and shout out to Brandon for like th- th- that sounded so professional. It sounded like a news bulletin. I was, that was, a, <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I was G way doing it. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, I can under- I can understand the anxiety here. Um, in terms of, uh, I guess a whole uh, you know for the fact that Spotify is the most, um, is the most popular out of um all of all of the other streaming uh, sites. Um, Apple and Google Google playing combined pretty much. Uh. That must be very worrying, and but even with that said, I find that I find that for Spotify themselves, it's kind of a no-brainer because, oh, yeah. like you said, they don't they don't they they don't have to pay me 
uh, for putting three podcasts on on their on their uh, on their play on their platforms. Unless I put that on exclusively and I have a deal with them, like you know, like Joe Budden has, like mm-hmm. uh, Jamel Hill has, and, yeah. all, and all of them, you know, it, it, like uh, Dissect has uh, more recently. Um, if that was the case for all of them, then obviously they wouldn't be. They 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 would probably just say uh, they'll probably be more like Tidal actually in terms of just like saying, okay, only Spotify podcasts and nobody else. Um, and I think Tidal is actually a de- an interesting, uh, I guess. Um, comparison that I want to give um, into all, all of this because obviously while Tidal has a podcasts a podcast arm is strictly only theirs only their podcast they have no other I can't get my podcast on there nobody else can get their podcast on there unless you know unless they're actually a Tidal exclusive unless you're Rap Radar or um, any of the others so maybe from a balanced perspective if music if the music industry had more um power over spotify than they uh, than they probably don't uh maybe that would be something worth looking at but obviously because spotify is operating on their own terms and they could do whatever the hell they like um i've kind of dodged a question in terms of uh <laughs> it's a, in terms of is it a bad thing or not uh personally i can't i don't really yeah, like like I said, the fact that I listen to both music and podcasts, it doesn't really affect me that much. Um, yeah. And I think that's the thing as a consumer. As the consumer, I guess it doesn't really matter. Nope. Um, but obviously, this is more about uh, music music industries and uh, obviously the labels themselves sweating over this and just the fact that you know, blankly, blankly put, people aren't listening to as much music as they probably did a few years ago, and obviously. Uh, we've just we've we've just got into the streaming era properly in the past ten years, and now, and now we're potentially saying that has uh, has that that really small revenue stream has that already been closed off because there's another comp there's another competitor in a in in spoken word form uh, audio. That's obviously a question that. Uh, the music industry and the, the labels themselves have to answer for but um for me as a consumer it's all gravy baby it's all gravy <laughs> yeah. i guess as a, I guess, cons- as a consumer I, and avid podcaster yeah <laughs> i guess You're- i can i can take the perspective of the uh the music industry at large um yeah the be cons- the machine go for it the the consumer <laughs> it really doesn't affect you um but and i would say at an artist level this doesn't affect me um, Travis Scott and these guys, Nicki Minaj, they're not banking on streaming to to get their checks. Um, Good the, point. The the big part that would scare me, the only part really that would scare me as an artist, uh, would be in general, uh, streaming numbers would be down, I guess. But you're only comparing yourself to to other artists so it's not like you have to compete with podcasts to get placements or anything like that um the only people who should really be scared are the big wigs the people the consumer doesn't care about anyway (laughs) the people who uh at the publishing deals or at warner or anybody else who who are actually are making a lot of money uh from 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 streaming numbers um they're the ones who should be scared and nervous that Spotify, which I didn't know um, an abbreviation for Spotify was Spot. That's a new one. Yeah, they, they had, not, they, not using that. No, there's no need for did, that. I'm not, not, <laughs> not, in, not in regular conversation. I'm not calling it Spot. Um, but yeah, and it, it, it 
it leads me to think that what if eventually Spotify or somebody is going to have to pay these podcasters. Somebody tell him, is going to tell him Nigel. Let Charlie Charlie needs his checks, man. Charlie needs his checks. We if Charlie if the, said louder louder for the people on the back. <laughs> we 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 kicking down doors now, Charlie, bro. We cuz if 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 Spotify really assumes that these numbers are what they say they're going to be, um and I don't I don't know if I if I completely agree with the like projection that they have, um, that in twenty years it'll be like that because twenty years now is a long time, and we were mm. we were supposed to be saying these things about music in twenty years, and it's only been like three, <laughs> and it yeah. seems like music streaming was really just like the practice run for Spotify uh, for podcast streaming now, mm. um, but eventually they're they're not gonna be able to not pay royalties to somebody. <laughs> You can have your lower level guys or whatever, but Charlie, I'm glad you brought up Title because Title is the one reason why I have Title. Oh, it's pop podcast. I'm sorry, podcasts are the one reason why I have Title. Rap Radar oh, okay. and um, Car Test with like Elliot Wilson and these guys. And Car Test yeah, is uh, dope. Car Test is dope. Amazing podcast, and you know it. It influenced my switch from Apple to Title um, for the podcasts. And I'm not even a big podcast guy, but I knew if I was going to pay money for something, then let me get my like fire podcast that I know I can't get anywhere else. Um, and that's 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 the thing with streaming services. It's all about like getting the exclusive. Um, so as podcasts continue to rise and rise, Spotify is going to want to have the exclusives. Apple's going to want to have the exclusives. And the only way you can get exclusive is to pay these guys like Charlie <laughs> and Joe Butter. <laughs> To, to to get your podcast on there and um and have that exclusive exclusivity. Phone line is open. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hit them up well, right now. I think I think I'm gonna disagree for the sake of conversation on I, I don't think that most podcasts yeah, I mean for big podcasts like something like Dissect or Joe Budden, like yeah, people yeah. are going to like yeah. no no matter what outlet they choose to put their podcast on, people are gonna go to that outlet specifically for their podcast. Right. But I think for a lot of podcasts, they're not really seeking to lock down exclusive deals because I think that their revenue is generated from advertisements that they place on their own podcast. True. And I, I think to you know to get the best ad revenue from that, they just flat out want the largest number of listeners that they can possibly get. So locking mm. down an exclusive kind of cuts some of their ad revenue. And I think I can see, you know, Spotify and the podcast you know, who have these deals with their outlets, they don't necessarily need the royalties because they're going for the advertising. And I think a lot of those royalties tend to be pushed by, you know, big labels um, where they want their check, you know, and that's where they really push for, like, you know, podcasts aren't going to come under a big label that wants a cut of their streaming hours. I, you know, I don't really think. You don't think? But then, yeah, well, unless big labels started to take over podcasting and you know then you had like whole a whole section of a label devoted to spoken word content um which kind of brings me to you know where you said as you know as a consumer we're not really worried about it and the people who are worried about it are the big label heads because in the end they are the ones who are kind of seeing their you know their their check cut down a little bit by this issue but then what what that makes me think is especially when you get you know into these big industries and these huge these powerful corporations and stuff is how are they going to respond to this though? You know, they're, they're not just going to see 
you know, a loss in profit as, you know, like, oh, that's just acceptable. Like, they're going to try to make some kind of adjustment. Uh, and I think what I'm worried about in that adjustment is how that affects the artists then. Because, like you mentioned, uh, you know, the artists, especially the bigger artists, they're not really suffering from this. Uh, a lot of their revenue doesn't come from streaming. Uh, yep. We can get to how this might affect indie artists, artists which is something I also kind of wanted to talk about. But yep, um, yep. I feel like how the label might react to this could have negative blowback on the artists. You know, maybe the label tries to adjust. They try to take a larger portion of that streaming revenue to adjust for the revenue that they're losing. Or, you know, they find some other way to adjust to this. But, you know, the bottom line is that these labels will find a way to adjust to this. Yeah. You know, when you're heading up a corporation like this, you're not going to take a loss in profits. Like, you're always working to build those profits. So, I, I you yeah. know, I think that they will find some way to adjust. But I'm not the businessman who really has that answer. Um, and if I did have that answer, I'm not sure I would be entirely willing to give it, <laughs> at least for free. I think, well, <laughs> well, allow me to give it away for free because I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, if, if, if I'm... A Genial big bubble. wig. If I'm a big wig and I got my suit and my tie on, and I'm wondering how I can dip or um, lessen my losses from podcasts, you create a podcast umbrella. You you get whatever artists who you can to maybe start a podcast. You maybe poach some some indie guys who are who are who are low key who who don't have um, as big of a following, but you can push that. I mean, it's the same as the music business, except it's podcasters. You can pay them something, set them up in a nice big studio and put them on a platform. You can you can create a deal with Spotify or Tidal or maybe not Tidal, but some, you can create deals with these streaming services. That's actually create, really interesting. To create a podcast actually... umbrella. That's easy. That's simple. That's easier yeah. than, than artist gathering because it's the, the product is... I would say more stable uh, than having to worry about album releases and dates and, and, and tours and all these other things. That's probably safer than getting into, you know, R&B and music. The bus level is probably lower. I, if that if I'm trying to look for an end to cap to capitalize on this, I think that's the simple, easy decision. Yeah, and I, just give it I mean, I would I would listen to a biweekly podcast of my favorite artist in the studio i mean that's it's yeah. something they're already doing all you got to do is put a mic there i guess Nick, yeah and you mm. can make that you can easily well, fit that into a you know look, into a signing contract so look at look at Nicki minaj radio take away the music and it's just a podcast <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean i mean you can it the it's simple you can put any big artist and put them in front of a mic let them talk and it's 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 their own interview they can do they can do whatever they want honestly uh, well, that's a that, that's a that's something worth thinking about, though, isn't it? In terms of like who's suffering here, and I think we've we've nearly gotten to that point. Into I think you've hinted at it a little bit, radio. Like uh, yeah. I don't find I don't find uh, music to be the uh, to be the victim here. <laughs> <laughs> Radio's <laughs> fucked if we're talking about how uh, how much podcasting is growing. Um, the fact that you know that Nicki Minaj has her own radio show on Beats just says is a bit of a microcosm of it all the fact that you know you don't have to be a like a you know a rate a you know a radio voice like you were back in the day mm-hmm. um you can literally just be Nicki minaj and let me just chat shit for however long she has her show for yeah. um it, it, it's it's 
you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a way to get people in. And you know, I think um, my my solution, uh, if since yours was um, create a whole bloody podcast network out of uh, out of their artists, mm-hmm. I was gonna say I was I was simply just gonna say if you can't beat them, join them. Like instead of and again, this is more about um, in in my what I'm talking about is more about uh, the death of radio in, in in a way. Instead of going to uh, I don't know breakfast club for example whatever and obviously this obviously this is not you know facts people are still going to go breakfast club but um you know instead of that maybe you're going to joe podden uh maybe yeah. maybe you're hitting up jamel hill for saying you know what i mean instead mm-hmm. you're adding podcasts to your to your um what's it called uh, your marketing tool i guess like yeah. i want this album out let me do a couple of interviews on Rap Radar. Let me do an interview on um, uh, uh, Genius uh, for the record. Let me do uh, mm-hmm. on whatever. You know, what I mean, this, let me just go and add the podcast arm to ev- to everywhere, yeah. and plug my album like that. Yeah, it's it's certainly something that is worth uh, that I think people are already doing. And um, you know, whether it's working or not, I don't I don't know. I don't know these uh, podcast numbers, but um, I think. Yeah, it's put simply, if you can't beat them, join them. Um, yeah. I just, I just find it funny that this whole conversation's been about, oh, woe is me, pe- music is people are not listening to music as much, and it's just like, <laughs> hello, radio dying over here. You know, what I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it's just, yeah, there's, people... there's, a, there's a there's someone being shanked over here, but we ain't even listening. It's, cra- it's crazy. <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, I, I feel like people, the idea that like these numbers mean that people are listening to less music, yeah, I don't know. Um, I just think. Not as many people are listening to music, um, the conventional, the now conventional way of streaming. I mean, I wonder what music numbers look like on YouTube or, or you know, or, or on SoundCloud. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure if you if you add Spotify and then these like more free ways of 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 listening to music, maybe maybe they even out a little more. Um, but yeah, I mean, the radio was now the new cassette. Uh, no one no one really cares about the radio like that. And uh, yo, shout out to podcasts as as we're on this podcast because uh, my whoop, man, whoop. my man Charlie's about to get checks, and y'all can hit him up, <laughs> hit him up on Twitter. His Venmo is open. Drop the requests, and he's oh, he's, he's speak got you. that shit into existence. My <laughs> Speaking into existence, <laughs> Charlie's gonna bless us all with M's. M's. Charlie's gonna <laughs> he's gonna start the next podcast with a yo. This is Charlie. I've been Ooh, using man. out. Fit tricks or whatever it is they've been advertising on my set. Charlie, like, Charlie's gonna be on. I just got the, my first box today. The funny part is, Charlie's gonna uh, be on the Breakfast Club talking about how he made a a multi million dollar corporation. <laughs> Jesus, what nah, up, is DJ nah, MVD nah. DJ Charlemagne God? We're with Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Nah. No, but I mean, you that, know that would, that, would, that would be quite cool. But that's <laughs> down the line, guys. Down the line. Down the line. Down the line. Down the line. Shout, shout out to my boy, uh, shout out to my boy. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay, so we move on to my pick. And my pick for the class is a uh, amazing little actual genuine uh reporting uh from uh, uh by the pitch pitchwalk obviously uh done by mr allison hussey uh it's called major music Distribut- distributor has stifled vinyl sales for record stores and indie label sources say so 
the whole thing starts off with a, uh, a band promoting an album, and uh, they have basically asked uh, Warner Records uh, to not uh, to basically shut down their online store, and basically it leads into a whole rabbit hole, uh, including a direct shot, which is uh, mu- uh, music uh, Warner Music's uh, distributor. Um, distributing obviously the vinyl records, the CDs, uh, pressing plant, dis- uh, and all that, and all that malarkey, right? And then it goes a bit deeper, talking about uh, Warner's or Warner's Alternative Distribution Alliance a- or ADA. Um, they include uh, uh, places like uh, Matador, Rough Trade, XL Domino. You've heard obviously uh, those uh, those particular places in terms of indie labels, uh, obviously uh, real real uh, real well known indie labels. And now there are starting to uh, be problems in terms of uh, Warner and Direct Shot and uh, how record stores, local record stores, basically aren't getting the records. Um, there's a quote here by a Record Store Day co-founder, Michael Kurt, saying uh, uh, that the, what it says, uh, we were assured that we were there will be there will be no issues, but approximately fifty independent stores and some big record chains didn't receive their Warner Music uh, Group record day releases, a uh, record store day releases. Uh, that was when we first knew this wasn't going to go smoothly. Uh, it says uh, they estimate that twenty thousand and thirty thousand re- uh, copies of Warner distri- distributed titles didn't make it to stores in time for record store day. Now, with the, now for for vinyl people, we know about record store day. Um, there's, there's, there's every every country has their own, but uh, we know about Record Store Day. We yeah. know that is, you know, for most for most uh, especially local stores, um, in in wherever area you're at, that's really their Christmas in 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 reverse. Like that's when they get their pe- uh, that's when they get people coming in to buy records. And to say that this is happening, uh, the fact that they're not getting records. That's a that could be a death blow for some for some places. That's actually crazy to think about. Um, so they're going to more. So there was one bit I wanted to get into, where it was uh, a, a label called called ORG Music, which ha- which uh, has reissued titles by Billie Holiday, Nirvana, Sonic Youth, and Felonious Monk. They've also experienced problems. Uh, according to the owner of that uh, particular rab- label, they said we had at least four or five months where the majority of our back catalog was uh, just not even able to. Uh, available for stores to order so we're not talking about you know just any regular uh, particular artist that you've never heard of shit like Billie Holiday and Thelonious Monk and that stuff is going down now I would say this is probably uh, in in case of this particular article itself it's obviously US based um, and they did have a mention of a UK store somewhere on the article but I just find it. I just find it fascinating that at this time, and you know, harking back to our previous um, conversation, you know, music, uh, music uh, labels, and all this and all this stuff are like complaining, potentially complaining about uh, the podcast apocalypse, and now there's a uh, warning music that can't even get freaking uh, records to the door of, yeah. the, of the local record stores. <laughs> so I feel like uh, I feel like that's a problem that uh, you know that needs to be obviously rectified but uh once you uh, obviously your, your guys thoughts on the whole article itself and just uh i mean local record stores in general and how obviously they have to this is this is that this is all they have like if they can't get records in then what's the point of them existing you know what i mean yeah i mean this this whole thing really um is it's becoming harder and harder to just to just support artists um physically that doesn't have to do with going to shows 
in in you know the the typical way. Um, people love vinyl. I remember when um, Blonde had just came out, and and mm. I think I think a few months later, Frank was doing these like pretty limited edition, but not too limited edition vinyls for Blonde. Um, I those was, are still really expensive now. Yeah, I, I have yeah. I have one. I got. Oh, I, I, fuck. I, I, are they really expensive? Are they really expensive? I, listen, man, I might I might have to sell that thing if it's this, this dude doesn't even. <laughs> listen, it's been in my, my vinyl pissed. my vinyl crate. Relaxed, it's in my vinyl crate chilling. Um, but it um, listen, it took me. That might have been the longest thing I've ever had to wear. I I literally forgot about it. I think it was around Christmas when he put yeah. them on, and I didn't. I don't think I got mine till like the summer of next year. <laughs> And yeah, then it, I just got this thing in the mail. I was like, "What is this?" And it was it was my vinyls. I completely forgot about it. Um, and I I know this has happened with with other vinyls and just limited edition merch as well. And it's just it's it's frustrating as a consumer. Um, and I can't imagine how frustrating it must be as an artist when you you put work and time and effort into this creative thing um, to to give back to fans and. Big wig companies again, distributing companies again, find a way to fuck it up by, by literally not even shipping it. Thousands and thousands of copies of CDs and vinyls and, and, and things who yeah. can't get fulfilled. And this isn't just consumers getting messed up because there's mom and shop vinyl stores, too, who who also sell these things. And yep. it, it's dependent on them, too, to be able to to be reliable with their product. And no one's going to email the distributing company no one's emailing direct shot because they they couldn't get their stuff out they're going to go to the mom and pop stores and and they're going to stop shopping there so it's a, it's 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 upsetting or, yeah or even the artist's merch company like yeah. mm-hmm. I, a lot a lot of this article read very like like in a way where uh, i've read some of this before in my customer service emails like Portions oh, wow. of this article, like, I have read in my customer service emails from ordering vinyls. Like, a moment of silence for everyone who has not yet received their signed copy of KOD, because that shit's going on two years. Like, that wow. shit's going on two years, and that two is years? the, like, if you what? guys use Reddit, like, the J. Cole subreddit, there are more, more posts in there about how people don't have their signed KOD vinyls than there are about, like, anything J. Cole related. How much, and, how, how much did those go for? Like, um, I mean, at at time of purchase, like sixty bucks maybe. But mm. if you're one of the few lucky people whose order ever arrived, like that probably goes for more now. Because mm-hmm. ninety percent of them have never even existed, apparently. And the wow. thing, of, the thing about that, I'm sorry to cut you off, right now. I'll, I'll let you know. No, you guess. But the the sixty dollars is probably the cheapest part of that. But no one's buying a signed KOD. Or really vinyl anything if there's like a not a deep emotional like attachment and connection to that. So yep. to wait two years for something that like that you you wanted that much, I can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and oh, yeah. I got a list. <laughs> I've made a list of all the like vinyl pre orders I have ordered that have not like came in on time or that, like oh, that yeah. I still haven't received. Dang. The signed KOD is definitely the oldest one. Um, I ordered, I pre-ordered a copy of Oxnard and like a year later just canceled my order and just bought another one on Discogs because it had taken so long to get it. Um, you know, Revenge of the Dreamers 3, I just got like last week. And so that like three months late on that one. 
Um, <laughs> Acid Rap, Chance just put all this stuff out on vinyls. Acid Rap said, you know, it was going to be shipped during the fall season, like expected date of November. Just got pushed back again for like the second time. Um, I ordered Eve by Rhapsody, and that said like three to eight weeks. And now here we are, and they said there's still no expected delivery date. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons I was <laughs> so glad to like have this article is because, you know, I was like so confused on like what like what is it about vinyl pre-orders that this shit is not like locked down like why is this of anything else that you can possibly like order online why are vinyl pre-orders getting pushed back delayed cut off like constantly you you read about this and i i have a lot of first-hand experience with it and now i have a name <laughs> to put my frustrations <laughs> at oh, and shit. it's it's direct Send shot a strongly worded so, email <laughs> I'm, I'm calling out direct shot on mic right now cuz this is some bullshit like if any other like, I, I don't understand how any, you know any other company, any other industry that had to deal with shit like approximately 50 independent stores didn't receive their Warner Music Group record store day releases. Kurtz mm. estimates that between 20,000 and 30,000 copies of Warner distributed titles didn't make it to stores in time for record store day. Another 10,000 records reportedly missed record store days, Black Friday promotion. Like it, any other industry, if you're looking at these kind of numbers, like yeah. What like what on earth like this shit is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, imagine yeah. what happened to Amazon. You know what I mean? It's just the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the worst the worst part is like uh, the one of the like shiny moments of this article was um, when Pitchfork reached out to Direct Shot several times for comment on the claims made in this story. Um, there was no response by Direct Shot. Well, yeah, <laughs> so of course. Of course. They, they hardly <laughs> got response from several of the places that they tried to reach out to. Like they they have no like um there's no accountability on their end because Warner and all these other, you know, big wig label companies, um, they're not pressed about it. If if the worst that they get is uh some J. Cole stands complaining on Reddit. Yo, they'll they'll ta- they'll they'll take that for the, the, the vinyl revenue that they don't have to, to rush out as quickly. And if it and if it's two years and you know it, it that's all it's really still amounting to, then there's really no reason to, to to go into panic if you're at Warner and it's and I like how the article started with the band, Tegan and Sarah who Yeah were, had to were take forced, down their whole were forced to close their their web store because at the end of the day the mistakes made by distributors and agents and and music labels it it affects them a small amount but it 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 destroys bands to the point where that's a merch taking down an online merchandise store that's a big part of an artist's revenue tours and merch that's that's what you do and you can't yeah and you can't you can't the only way to really sell merch everywhere is online. And if you, you don't have reliability from the people who are are supposed to handle that side of the business for you, then it really then you might as well shut it down because it doesn't make sense. And you get fans who complain to you, but not to direct shot, not to Warner, not not to these other places. So it's it's another unfortunate saga in band and company relations where the band does their part trying to promote a new album trying to create more revenue 
and yep. the people who are supposed to, supposed to support them, all they do is fail at every turn. And yeah. I mean, there's an example in here too of a of a smaller label that gets fed up and they try to switch their distribution company. And at the time of these of this story being reported, they're still missing twenty to thirty percent of their product that they have already paid for. Crazy. Like that in in a lot of these cases, the all these missing records and all these things are like the labels, the record stores, the artists. They have already paid for product that they do not have. Yeah. And that they have no idea when they're going to be getting. And especially, like, we, we touched on a little bit with the the record store day and these small shops. Like, a lot of these small shops, you know, they're they're independent. They're mom and pops. They're not these huge change who mm-hmm. can have money tied up and then, you know, pay out that elsewhere. A lot of these places, on record store day, they're going, you know, into the red financially, uh, you know, getting ready for record store day, making these huge orders. Um, they, they order special stuff for events, like shout out to uh, Hit Records in Columbia, Missouri. That's my local record store. And they ordered, like, you know, they had a whole band. Uh, they, they did a bunch of specials, like a bunch of promotional stuff. You know, they paid extra for advertising to get stuff out there for record store day. And then the day comes, and they don't even have the stock that they have told their customers is going to be there. You know, and they they've put money out for that promotion, and you know, hiring that band, and then not only have they put that money out, but now their money is tied up in product they should have, and they don't have it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I gotta commend you, Brandon, because waiting two years for a, a, a signed KOD vinyl, <laughs> man, I would I would never trust ordering. A vinyl online ever again. If it's not at Urban Outfitters, I I can't have it, bro. If it's not at it's Urban rough. Outfitters, I can't have it. I like I fully I fully recommend like in all cases ordering from Discogs because yep. you know if you're ordering through Discogs, you are either ordering from like an individual seller who has the record on hand, physical copy, or you're ordering hmm. from a record store who has marked this record in their inventory. Yeah. But I mean, then again, when you're ordering on Discogs. You know that money is going from you know a seller to a buyer, but it's you know floating around in that system and it's not going to the artist because it's it's records that have already been paid for. Like, would you know, say this whole situation just just seems absolutely insane to me that these yeah. kind of numbers and this kind of money can be tied up and it's like. Like, I'm just glad I have a name for it now, and it's Direct Shot. Again, <laughs> listeners, Direct Shot. Yeah. If you are missing a record, if you have not received your record, email Direct Shot. Find a way. <laughs> well, Brandon, that's a that's a that's a good point. You're the so Charlie's the the podcast guy. Brandon Brandon is the vinyl guy, and I'm I'm honestly just the guy. Honestly, I don't have, I don't have a distinction. But what is what what would you say are some other ways for consumers to to more uh, effectively and safely cop vinyl. Um, I mean, of course, the store. You you mentioned Discogs. Is there any other like I mean, sites go, or, or physically go you to your store, like physically walk to your record store and yeah. you know cop cop directly from your record store. Yeah. But if they haven't also... got it, they haven't got it. Don't say like, "Are oh, you little trash not coming back?" Like, yeah, because, like I can generally believe that that has happened. If, if in this case where like a record store doesn't have the records there. They they either promoted or you know or just assume they should have because it's a bloody record store and yeah. you know if this uh, if uh, if 
I don't know, if a KOD drops, then yeah, oh, sure, they 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 should have, you know, the vinyl there. Especially record store day. Especially yeah, yeah, exactly. record store day. Exactly, exactly. Like, like, those records go out in extremely limited numbers, and you only get to wait in one line for the store to open. So if you're waiting in line, <laughs> and you know you're, that record store, you know, has said that there is a single individual copy of Green Day's 1994 Woodstock Live performance, which... It was also a record I was looking for and did not get on record store day. That's so specific. <laughs> yeah, but you're you know you're waiting in line at that record store because they're expected to have it, and then you go in and you know it's not there. You know, you as a consumer, you missed out on that opportunity of waiting in line at another record store that said they were going to have it, but yeah. it's not that record store's fault, and that makes you know a very dissatisfied consumer, and somehow. Direct Shot has got their name out of all this bad publicity outside of this article. Yeah, it's it's easy it's easy to yell at the guy in front of you or the girl in front of you at the counter. Um, it's a lot harder to to draft up that email and and send it and actually find who's the distributor. So it, yeah, it's yeah. It sucks for the for the the vinyl shop owners because and 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 the artists too. So hopefully Direct Shot can get their stuff together and uh, I get, get I think Direct Shot needs to eat some of these costs like. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, 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 yeah. They mentioned in the article too. Um, if I can find it in here, I would, I would how, say that. Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. I would say Warner should stop doing business with them. But, but go, go ahead. Facts. But they, yeah. I mean, they why they start doing business with them? They, yeah. they. It talks about how just in April a lot of this problem is because they had just switched to direct shot from their other retailer. Mm-hmm. But um, they they mentioned in here how a company who can't get their merch in has to go and have like spend like ten thousand to twenty thousand dollars like repressing their records just so they have stock to sell on tour because you know that's the best time for your merch to come out so you know the records that direct shot owes them aren't going to do them any good two years from now when they get them when they're not on tour or they're on tour for a completely different album so they eat some of that cost on the delay to go and have their records repressed for another $20,000 just because they need that physical merch to sell on tour to make it profitable. Yeah. And I think Direct Shot needs to eat that cost. Like, that's ridiculous. How has there not been some kind of a lawsuit? Against, like, I guess it's because the biggest problem is the smaller labels and these smaller companies that do not have the money to put up a lawsuit of some kind. And then yeah. the larger labels have the capital to make adjustments to these kind of costs yeah it's crazy i'm just happy uh that for two episodes in a row i've gotten a colleague pissed off over what i pissed <laughs> and uh so yes. yeah so let's go so shout out to <laughs> for this amazing piece of reporting and shout out to, shout out to brandon for uh the, just uh just being pissed is fun. It's, yeah. it's fun when someone's pissed. I needed a name. I needed a name for this frustration, and now I've got it. Strong emails coming for you, direct shot. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. We're punching a wall. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Nigel, you have the floor. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I got a piece from one of my favorite writers um, over at The Undefeated. The Undefeated has, all their writers are great, but 
Uh, my, my man Justin Tinsley for sure. Um, he's a scribe over there. And he, there's a lot of end of the year content, uh, a lot of end of the decade content because we're shifting over to 2020. And um, his his case for album of the decade, uh, Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid, Mad City. And his main reasoning uh, for Kendrick's Good, Good Kid, Mad City being album of the decade, of course, the, the accolades and the longest charting hip hop studio album and, um, you know, Kendrick's major label debut and it. It, it it was the start of uh, a career that is now storied, well accoladed, and um, yeah, it it that's one of the arguments he uses. He equates it to um, Malcolm X's bio- autobiography as this stark and and dark and real recounting of like the black experience, um, filled with so many different motifs and. And it's just so well calculated, and for it to be his first album, and and the the albums that came after it, um, and the the argument a lot of people bring up is to Pimper Butterfly. Damn, if if those two are the better Kendrick albums, and he he does a great job of addressing those arguments, and also giving his side um, as to why he he thinks. Good Kid, Mad City trumps them and every other album that we've seen this decade. Um, it's a great piece of writing. He's 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 amazing. Um, if you haven't read it, please go read it. And um, I, it's a it's one of those pieces that's supposed to sway you one way or another. Um, and he he does a great job. And you know when I first started reading it, before I read it, um, my vote would have been to Pimper Butterfly as as Kendrick's greatest. Um, and after reading this and and how he digs into not only Malcolm's life but Kendrick's life, and then he he digs even deeper and connects the dots with Kendrick's Kendrick's words and rap, Kendrick's words and in interviews, and then Malcolm's words, um, mm. and autobiographies, and it 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 ties so perfectly together, and yeah, I mean shit, he 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 did it, he convinced me. <laughs> I don't know when I think of another album um, that not also started the race, but then. Um, set the pace like it did. Um, it's a great way of putting it. It it it. It's hard to it's hard to to think of another album that we received this year that that set that kind of tone um, and also gave us one of the one of the I would say we're, we're gonna look back on Kendrick's career because it's still very early. One of the greatest rap careers in arguably in our time, possibly of all time. So. I'm curious. I would say what, absolutely. What, what you in guys thought? Yeah. What you guys thought of the article, and and if you agree? Um. Well, I say that. Um. Well, I said this on Digging Digits. So, um, if you guys want to go listen to that podcast, also at oh. five pm. Um, <laughs> we did obviously a little <laughs> little top ten uh, uh decade list. Um, not exact, like completely subjective, not exactly you know definitive, but it's just how we felt. In terms of uh, particular albums, and I put uh, To Move Butterfly at one, and I put Gookie Mad City at like I think six or five. Um, and the reason for that, per, uh, for why I put Gookie Mad City, um, you know, some people say why that low. Um, personally, I To Pimp a Butterfly was the first Kendrick album I listened to, um, personally, so um, I think because of that, um, it holds a lot of weight for me personally. 
and um, Gooky Messi uh, doesn't because it was like the second, obviously the second album I listened to once I listened to Pimp I was like, this guy's good. I should listen to his yeah. back catalogue and uh, <laughs> then get Gooky Messi. Obviously, uh, the, not, uh, not many people did it that way. Um, I admit that, and uh, that's completely fine. It's obviously how it should be done. Um, but yeah, it's how I did it. And so personally for me, it's uh, while the article, I will admit, creates a bloody amazing uh, amazing uh, uh, case for it, um, for being the album of the decade. And, you know, I, I wouldn't... And here's the thing, you know, I'm not going to... I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to scream at you if you put Kiki Messi as the album of the decade. Like, I'm, right, I'm not right. going to I'm not going to raise my fist going, "How dare you?" Um, what I would sh- who I would shout out is like people like the Associated Press that doesn't even put uh, to be uh, to be butterfly in their fucking list all uh, at all. <laughs> like that yeah. shit, that shit's offensive. That shit, um, that's it. That, that's what's making me uh, uh, throw my fist up. But um, you know, that, that's just a side note. But um, yeah, man, I I completely understand why. And I think most of us do. I think it took. I, I really do think it took a few until Smither Butterfly and un, until Dam as well for people to actually see Gookie Massey for what it is. Um, I think at the time, I don't think it was um, lauded in this way as obviously an autobiography uh, very similar to the one of Malcolm X, which is obviously one of the best pieces of American. Uh, literature in the past, uh, in the past, uh, I guess, century. Um, but yeah, I th- I consider uh, adding that uh, and comparing it to that is obviously something that has to be generally uh, weighed up against. And I think uh, uh, Justin Tinsley, uh, as, as as the writer of this, really made a great case for me personally. And uh, you know, while I don't you know, agree and didn't obviously sway me personally, I completely understand why people would think this and uh, you know, like I said, it's a great case. Um it's obviously a great album. We've all we've all blasted that many many a time. Um I would love to see someone write an article about Dev to be honest, because uh, I've listened to the dissect right now uh, over the over the past few weeks and uh, the way that's going down, I'm just like Oh, damn! It's being slept on. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, that's a, that's a conversation for a few for, for a few years down the line. I would admit. So, uh, I'll I'll leave that I'll leave that for now. But yeah, it's a it's a great piece. Obviously, it's a great album. I'm not gonna. There's no there's no there's no way to possibly shit on that album. It's just uh, yeah. It's just an absolute uh you know an absolute masterpiece. One of one of a few of of Kendrick's. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want I want to touch on what you said about how. Uh, you know, Good Kid, Mad City wasn't as lauded at the time. And then, you know, now that there's Damn and To Pimp a Butterfly, like, it's being looked at in retrospect. And I think that's a big part of what this article touches on, is it very much does use the retrospect in saying that Good Kid, Mad City is album of the decade. Um, in, in, in a long story short, it basically says that, you know, To Pimp a Butterfly and Damn aren't possible without Good Kid, Mad City. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's all in the story. You know yeah. that that's that's a lot of the reason that it gives it. You know, it, it puts it up on a pedestal. I think above those other two is because of that. You know, criteria as the predecessor. Like for me, the main takeaway is kind of that. You know, Good Kid, Mad City is album of the decade because it represents like overcoming something that shouldn't have been possible to overcome in the first place, and that that initial victory is really what sets the ground for, you know, the future victories like to Pimper Butterfly and Damn to even happen. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, he definitely lauds it as, 
with the comparison to Malcolm X's autobiography with, with how Kendrick grew up and everything, you know, he really puts it as like good kid, mad city shouldn't, you know, everything against that should not, it should never have happened. Like it should never have been within Kendrick's life to rise above and do something like that. And I think that's where he really finds it as that, that's the album of the decade, and rather than To Pimp a Butterfly. Mm-hmm. Because To Pimp a Butterfly, he, Kendrick had been already established by Good Kid Mad City. So To Pimp a Butterfly was, you know, a continuation of, you know, an amazing legacy that we already knew about versus Good Kid Mad City, you know, is kind of the rise above story. It is the, you know, this should not have been possible, and yet it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, can I pose a question? Actually, um, since yeah. you since you suggested, like, um, obviously that, and I completely agree with this statement. By the way, the fact that you know, without Gukamasi to to Butterfly and Dam wouldn't, well, I don't say if they they wouldn't exist, but they but they obviously have they they build up on the foundations of Gukamasi. But I do wonder, in general, when you talk when you think about um, people's uh, dis- artists' uh, discographies, do you always look at uh, do you always make a concerted effort to look at their first album and just like I guess add that weight to it, like we have done um, for uh, Gookie Man City in this case? Because um, I'm trying, I'm just trying to think of like some artists in terms of like what their first album was, and obviously did they did they build up on that or did they not build up on that, and is it something that they you know, most artists really should. Is that the kind of blueprint that should happen? Because, um, you know, I consider Jay's Reasonable Doubt his best album. And a lot of people would say differently. Some people say Blueprint. Some people say American Gangster or uh, Black Album. But uh, another example I want to throw out is like uh, Stevie Wonder. For something like his uh, golden run from Music In My Mind to Songs In The Key Of Life, is that something... And obviously he had many albums before that. So... Where do you where where do you where do you go? I guess in that kind of uh, way of thinking about people's bodies of work, and regardless if they've built up built up on it or not, obviously Kendrick has done a has made a concerted effort to legitimately create a whole storyline from. Fuck it! Why why were you not even including section eight section eight either? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was going to get has, my section eighty yeah, bag too. Yeah, exactly. I so love that's that also Kendrick something album. that needs to be, I guess. Um, thought about as well in terms of the whole conversation of Kendrick but uh I just wanted to throw that out there in terms of like how you guys see um well in this case debut studio albums so it's just be official about it and yeah I think I think I think it's a case-by-case basis in some instances um I think it's hard to look at like a long storied career like Jay-Z who you know who, who dates back more than just a decade yeah um with his work um I think uh you can also do the same thing with Beyonce, um, who, who whose style mm. has really changed a lot through the decades. Um, Kanye fits that same bill. But you also can't do it with someone like... Uh, well, I guess you can, but, um, you know, there's not... I don't know if there's much to dissect with, with, like, Young Thug's progression from the early, early decade to now. Um I mean, obviously, sonically, there's there's differences and things like that. But I mean, just like when you look at like the the content overall, um, the depth and and like 
things like that. Um, you can you can kind of poke and prod and, and, and find a lot more with Kendrick than anybody else. I think the only person or one of the, the the person who comes to mind instantly is Drake from someone who we kind Damn, of look I thought, at. The, I, I literally said we weren't going to mention Drake before this episode started. Have, <laughs> we have to. We have to. Holy and shit, it's we funny, actually did it. And it's funny. Uh, it's funny. We did not plan this, people. Uh, but it was. It's funny because the okay. biggest, the biggest Kendrick comparison, for whatever reason, is is Drake. They've been, you know, kind of Kendrick versus Drake for forever, even though they're completely different. But we definitely look at "Take Care" and and, and "Thank Me Later" and these other um, albums that Drake put out earlier and, and compare them to Scorpion and 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 things like that. So I think. I don't know if there's any Brandon. Maybe you can you can list off some if you have any, but I I can only really think of Drake of who we really dissect and and look at like the progression. Um, well, in a like a way I that think, makes sense. I think there are two ways to look at the progression. Um, there's the first way where you look at it in the context of Kendrick, where he very intentionally has built upon each album. Um, yeah. It, yeah, with, yeah, you know, within within the same vein. Yeah, obviously he's the best example of carrying you know like a narrative across multiple albums. I don't think there is a better example out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you know there's also the other type of artist where you know each album is sort of an individual product. And I think, I mean, I maybe get, I maybe getting a little out of pocket. I probably don't mean this as dramatically as it sounds. But I think in an artist like that where they're not intentionally like building upon each album individually, you see more growth across each project. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that as a negative as in like, Oh, like Kendrick has to grow, but I'm thinking specifically in this example of like Tyler, the creator where, you know, yeah. obviously he has very much changed things drastically and I, across each project and intentionally. I, so I yeah. think, you know, looking at, looking at Tyler's projects and comparing everything he's ever done to his debut album uh, is, you know, it just doesn't even make sense. And Mm -hmm. I I think that when you do that, there are a lot of cases where that's a negative. Uh, And the first example that really pops into my mind on that is Nas with Illmatic. And that's, that's even something we've talked about on this podcast before is how Nas, I mean, has literally said, he wants to stop being seen as Illmatic. Like he's tried to do other things, and when he, you know, when he tries to do something different, it doesn't mm-hmm. perform as well because it's not Illmatic. And I think that's a very like unfair standard to hold an artist to. Um, but I think in Kendrick's case, where he intentionally, you know, has built a narrative that spans multiple albums, then I think yes, I think you can, you know, look at his other albums in the context of his first album. Like, I, I think that, I do think that's fair in Kendrick's case because that is an intentional narrative that he's built. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think Kendrick kind of, he's, he's, he's a, he is an exception to a lot, a lot of rules that we play with some other artists. Um, I don't know if there's anyone really crafting these like central ideas um, across albums like this. Um, I mean, obviously some, some people are, but it, it, it shifts from, from thing to thing, but Kendrick seems to hone in on, on the same motifs, but he, he, he's, he's able to present it in, in such different ways to where it always seems to sound fresh and new. Um, and I think that's a, that's a great question, Charlie, cause it was something that I haven't really, I've thought about it with Drake. I've thought about it with a lot of other artists, but I haven't really thought about how heavily I weigh 
um, Good Kid, Mad City. Um, even reading this, you know, it, it hit me, but I still de- never really put it into my own personal perspective of um, how much I do that with Kendrick and then with other artists. So, yeah, it's shout out Kendrick. Yes, sir. Shout to the goats. Oh, sorry, am I not allowed to say that? This, uh, <laughs> well, the goat. This conversation also brings to mind, um, I, I, can, I don't know who exactly said it. I know. JID said it, but I know he was quoting someone else. Um, but he said that you have your whole life to write your debut album. Yeah, I've heard this. Yeah, I've heard this from many people. Yeah, and I know, I know, JID is not the original quote. Um, I just did a quick Google search; couldn't quite find it right off the top. But I think that really, I mean, really rings true with Good Kid, Mad City. I, I, I mean, the whole thing you know, just covers the narrative of the beginning of his life, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, there's... Yeah, I've heard that from a few eyes. Um, one I thought of uh, when you said that maybe it was, like, uh, Neo, who is a neo-solarist here in the UK, and, like, she she wrote her... She did her first album, and then she had, like... And then she gave herself a two-year period for a second one. She said during a sec... While she was promoting a second one, like... You know, the first one was literally I had twenty something years to uh, thinking about that album. You know what I mean, and just you know, obviously mm-hmm. basing on off life experience and all that stuff. And then that's why most, not all eyes, but some eyes have that second album where it's just like a dud because you know they they the first one they had all that time to think about it, and then it was and like, oh good, I've, put I've made it. Into it's that good. First album. Oh wait, I have to. I have to make more albums. You know, what I mean? yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like you just get ahead of yourself. You like you, you put all your power into one throw, and then like you realize you got like five more throws uh, throws left of the shot put. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's just how it goes sometimes. Yep. You know, and I I think it's it's in the vein too of viewing it like a like a superhero's origin story. Like mm. the the most you know popular story about Spider Man is the death of Uncle Ben, and then they go on with the series and you know there's a ama- like there's other amazing Spider-Man stories down the line but the most memorable Spider-Man story is you know the death of Uncle Ben and him actually becoming Spider-Man cuz none of the rest of those good stories happen without that initial origin story i think that's and that's really like the slot that good kid mad city fills in yeah yeah completely so, agree all in all kendrick's a superhero um, so we Spider-Man. shall leave it. There. We shall leave it there. Uh, shout to Justin Tinsey on the Kendrick Kukimasi argument. Uh, also shout out to Tim Ingham on his uh, podcasting training the growth music industry. <coughs> it's not. And also shout out to uh, Alison Hussey uh, for uh, for major distributors. Uh, well, uh, what, what was the name of the place? The Direct Shot. Fuck the Direct Shot. Fuck straight um, so shout to, shout to those writers uh, they're obviously the reason why we do this particular podcast but ladies and gentlemen that has been Insert a Source um, I've been Charlie Taylor he has been Nigel <laughs> yes, I, never sir. To, I never know how to finish these fucking episodes I'll tell you yeah yo uh, I just want to say happy holidays everybody man uh, this is a great, this is a great year in music great year in, in media um, so everybody stay up and uh, yo prosper New decade, new new goals, new gifts. Coming strong, 2020 and beyond. For sure. Uh, shout out to Brandon as well. Don't you have a shower? Um, 
kind of weird. Yeah. Someone says happy holidays. Yeah. You can't really say anything else, can you? Ship, ship, <laughs> ship his vinyl. Damn it! Shout out, uh, Nigel. Ship his vinyl. Shot. Fuck direct shot. I'm gonna, I kind of want to end on that point. <laughs> Straight up, we about to yo. We, we are death rowing some shit. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck the red shot. Straight up. Sick for defamation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so happy holidays to all. This is obviously the final uh, insert source for the year. So have a happy holidays. Happy uh, happy new year. On to the next decades. Onwards and upwards. Take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen. This episode of In Search of Source featured me, Charlie Taylor, of Fifth Element, Nigel Washington, and Brandon Hill of the Central Source Creative Collective. The episode is edited by me. Music for this show is Fuck Shit Up by Bass T. Thanks to Chill Records for the ability to use. This has been a Central Source and Fifth Element Podcast Network production. Links for Bass T, Chill Records, Central Source, The Fifth Element, and content covered in this episode can all be found in the description below. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time in the new year and the new decade as we continue our search for source.